a new day dawning it's time to sing your song again whatever may pass and whatever lies before me let me be singing when the Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, O oh 
to anger. Your name is great, and your heart it is kind. For all your goodness, I will keep on singing. Amen. Ten thousand years for my heart to find. So bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship His holy name. My strength is failing, the end draws near, and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending, ten thousand years, and then forevermore, amen? Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. We've been made more than conquerors, overcomers in this life, and we've been made victorious. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, we've been made more than conquerors, overcomers in this life, and we've been made victorious. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. One more time. Yes, we've been made more than conquerors, overcomers in this life. We've been made 
Your spouse may not even know it. Your friends may know it, but he knows. Amen. If it's something deep inside, he knows it. Amen. Amen. Brother Ron, if you'd come. Let's bow our heads. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we just appreciate us coming here to hear your word, dear Lord. We just ask you to open our minds and listen to what you're saying. We just ask you to watch the ones that are traveling for their traveling mercies, dear Lord. We just bring them back safely. Let them enjoy their time. Dear Lord, we just ask you to touch the ones that are feeling uh, ill or sick. We ask you just to touch their bodies or whatever, whatever they need. Whatever your will is, Lord. We just thank you for this place to come and hear your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Because mercy rewrote my life. His mercy rewrote my life. should have fallen oh my soul cause your mercy rewrote my life one more time oh your mercy rewrote my life his mercy rewrote my life. Yes, I should have fallen. My soul cast down, but your mercy rewrote my thankful for that. Turn and shake hands with those that are around you. Welcome them to the service. And uh, you may have your seats. It's good to see the Purdy sneaking in there. God bless you. Um, my uh, dear friend Rick, who, uh, God bless him, helped me move down here 14 years ago. And uh, now Rick and Bree have moved down and her going in Johnson City there at Brother Donnie, so it's good to see him here this morning. Also, um, I think, Sister Jessica Pugh, is that your sister here? God bless you. Is it Johnson? All right, God bless you. Uh, they're moving up here from Texas, I believe, so God bless you. It's good to have you here in service. Amen. Let's sing uh, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Amen. There's somewhere where we can lean no matter what happens in our life, whatever is crazy, whatever is a little wild, amen. There's somewhere where we can lean, amen. Amen. Well, what a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what 
passes by, leaning on the everlasting arm, cause I'm leaning, amen, leaning, safe and secure from all this dirty flesh and this sin away, amen, except his blood. So I'm thankful for that, amen. Well, would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. Power in the blood, come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. 
of the land Now wouldn't you be wider, much wider than snow There's power in the blood, power in the blood Since stains are washed in its life giving flow, amen There's wonderful power in the blood Wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power. The precious blood of the Lamb. Now would you do service for Jesus your King? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Praises to sing. Amen. There's wonderful power in the blood. Oh, there is power. Wonder-working power. Oh, in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power. Much wider than snow There's power in the blood Power in the blood Sin stains are lost In its life-giving flow There's wonderful power in the blood And there is power Wonder-working power in the blood Of the Lamb that stand is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious. One more time, there is power. Oh, there is power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the land. Let's give him a hand. Amen. Amen. There is power. We're going to ask the deacons to come at this time and we'll take up the morning offering here. Brother Mike, if you could say the blessing. get ready for Brother Barry to come. Let's sing that We Need You, Lord. I need him. Amen. I think we all can say that we need him because this world is pretty crazy. Seems like every day we need him. Amen. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. Right
Just for a moment here, and we're going to pray again. 
God bless you and welcome to all of you in the house of the Lord this morning. It's good to have all of you here. Great to have the Purdy's here uh, today and uh, always good to see them. Brother Tim Ashong, good to have you here today and we've been praying for you and God bless you. Great to have uh, uh, Rebecca and the kids here, all the kids and and, uh, always a blessing to see them. John and uh, Hannah, God bless you. Good to have you here. This is Brother Aaron and Sister Trisha's Last Sunday for a month, they're going to be going back to Zimbabwe to uh, visit family over there and show off grandchildren. And uh, this is a, a good thing. We wish you Godspeed and uh, trust that your trip will be blessed. Uh, and there is only one condition, that you come back. Great to have the parks with us today. God bless you. And uh, each and every one, if I've missed you, sorry. Good to have uh, everybody here and uh, visitors from out west and Texas. And uh, good to have Lucas back. First time I've seen him in about a year, <laughs> seems like. And uh, good to have him here today. Uh, Brother Johnny and Sister Doris Reynolds are traveling. They're on their way back. Uh, they are in Oklahoma this morning and listening here. Uh, I was also talking with Joe and Noah Cockman today, and they're out in Wisconsin. And uh, I told him, believe it or not, we miss you. And uh, he said, yeah, he said, I believe that. He said, because we miss you too. And uh, so we are praying for them and certainly do miss them. Um, I was also communicating with Brother Ron Spencer this morning and and, uh, told him I just had him on my heart and we were praying for him and he really appreciated that very much. Brother William Ansong is in uh, London today. He's uh, doing a flight over there back and forth and uh, with his work, and uh, so we miss uh, Brother William. Uh, uh, Jeremy, let's pull up our um, PowerPoint here, if you don't mind. wanted to mention just a couple of quick things here that our men's meeting registration is filling up, and so if you haven't done that yet or you know somebody who would like to do that, there still is room available, and uh, you would be wise to jump on and do that. Uh, We have a couple of birthdays uh, that we're going to mention today, and July 24th today is Jeff and Anna Jackson's wedding anniversary uh, today, and then uh, 27th that week, next week is Harrison's uh, birthday as well. They're gone away for this uh, weekend, the whole family, before uh, Sister Caroline goes off to college. And then July 28th is Miles Coffey's birthday. Miles, how old are you going to be? Six years old. And Caitlin Brown's birthday as well. The Browns are not here today. We miss the Browns. Caitlin's uh, birthday as well on uh, July 28th. Now, I wanted to mention uh, this morning that uh, I I apologize for Wednesday night. I had uh, kind of uh, overshot my limit. I thought I could be away and be back here on Wednesday night and could not. And I, I didn't let you know, so I'm being uh, apologetic here. Sister Haley and I, and Sister Becky, and uh, the boys, we were away and out of uh, we were out of uh, touch in terms of communication and so forth with uh, the internet because we're out in the wilderness uh, on on Wednesday. So I thought what I would do uh, is give you an, uh, just a heads up for July and August uh, what what my schedule is going to be and what our schedule is going to be here for. Uh, for the rest of this month and then next month. So next Sunday, I had mentioned to you that we're going to have a couple of Sunday evening services, 
and uh, just just a couple. And so next Sunday, we'll have an evening service at 4 o'clock. August 7th, Brother Rap Crook will be here. I will be in Beaufort, South Carolina, and I'll be ministering your Brother Jason Watkins there. Uh, he's been here about eight times, I think, and uh, he says it's about time we evened it up. So I think he's got about seven or eight meetings planned for me over over the weekend there, so getting even. But Brother Rapp will be here, and we're going to have a young people's meeting in the afternoon as well, uh, like we've done before. August 14th, we're going to have a Sunday evening service as well, 4 o'clock. August 2021st, Brother Craig Boer will be here. We'll have a Saturday night service and meetings on Sunday, so we'll give you that exact schedule. I will be here. And uh, we're looking forward to having Brother Craig with us. On August 28th, I will be in Belgium, and we'll be doing those family meetings uh, in Belgium, Lord willing. Uh, We'll have uh, a guest minister here. And then uh, after that, Brother Aaron and his family will be back, right? It'll be the end of August by the time you come back, the 29th, right? So uh, that's, that's the... Uh, schedule for the for the next uh, until the end of August there. So I just thought I'd give you a little heads up. We have one prayer request that I wanted to explain to you before we go to prayer this morning, and that is uh, Sister Emily Earwood. And most of you young people know Sister Emily. Uh, she's got some sort of a uh, what they believe may be an infection in her body uh, that is secondarily affecting her eyesight. And they have been uh, attempting different things, and and it's really been an issue for her. And uh, we talked yesterday, and I said, is it all right if I bring the prayer request? And she said it would be just fine. Went to a specialist uh, this week, and they're investigating some uh, secondary infections that are are there that this might be a side effect of, of one of those infections. So... Uh, they're looking very uh, diligently to try to find what the problem is. And I told her we would sure hold her up in prayer because it's uh, just in a strange way affecting her vision. And uh, for a young girl, you know, that's a, that's a pretty difficult thing. So I told her we would certainly remember her in prayer today. Let's stand to our feet this morning. And as we approach his throne uh, this morning... Uh, I want you to hold your requests there, hold what's on your heart there, and believe that God hears you and answers your prayer. How many believe that God hears what you're, you're thinking about even now? Our thoughts, they speak quite loud in his presence, and so let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we just humbly come into your presence, Lord, and in this, in this quiet, respectful presence, Lord, we don't want it to be just us. We, we want to invite you, draw you near to us, Lord. We, our petition is that, Father, you would incline your heart to these needs today. There are many folks that are away and, Lord, traveling, and some are hurting and some are needy. Some are in the process, Lord, of making great decisions about their lives and what they should be doing and where they should be. The very best thing we can do, Lord, because the future has always been hidden to us. We've never been able to know, Lord, what will take place tomorrow. But we have every confidence in knowing that you do hold tomorrow. And you've already ordained it, Lord. You know what's going to take place. And so for every problem that we present to you, we know, we believe, we're convinced, Lord, that you have a solution already. And so, Father... We just humbly come into your presence this morning and just ask, Lord, that you would just speak to each heart today. 
We pray for the healing of those that need it, Lord. We pray for Sister Emily today. And ask you, O God, just to minister to her and to give her strength, Lord. And to help her, Lord, to know that there are people praying for her. And Lord, may in your your own simple way, Lord, I pray you draw near to her and just touch her eyesight today. We thank you for doctors and nurses and medications and all the... Uh, investigation that goes on. Lord, we thank you for that. And we're glad that we have access to all of that. But we also know that we have access to you, Lord. And healing comes in a variety of ways. We're going to thank you, Lord, no matter how it happens. But we, we want to give thanks, Lord, for your healing virtue today. Bless her abundantly, Lord. Make, may she be encouraged. And Lord, may she be strengthened. And Father, just, just looking to you at every turn. We believe, Lord, you are great today. And we ask now that you would just take this service, bless it for your glory, we pray. May you receive all praise and honor in the name of Jesus Christ, we ask. Amen. Amen. And amen. We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet. Let's sing it now. Of Jesus and the greatness of His mercy and love at the feet of Jesus we cry Let's take your Bible this morning and let's go to Numbers chapter 14. We appreciate the musicians and uh, their contribution this morning and uh, may God bless them. We're going to go back here right to the beginning and we're going to be talking about worship again this morning. I hope you've come to worship the Lord and uh, hope you continue to worship him now as we uh, work our way through this. And uh, it's just amazing the, the number of things that Brother Branham said about uh, this particular subject here. So we're going to deal with this in a part two. And the subtitle is The Approach to War in God's Army. The Approach to War in God's Army. And we're looking in the book of Numbers. 
verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. This is when they've been told that a short journey is now turned into 40 years because of their unbelief. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would to God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore saith the Lord, Wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return unto Egypt? And they said to one another, This is amazing. Let us make a captain and let us return unto Egypt. May God at his blessing you may be seated. Now that's just an amazing thing. That they would actually... After all of the miracles and all of the, uh, all of the experiences they've had to bring them to Numbers 14 and all of the things that have been done. And now they're actually talking about this themselves. I mean, it's amazing, uh, that they had come to this place so quickly where they forgot all about the manna. They forgot all about the presence of God and the, uh, you know, the, the voice of God that was speaking to them and all the demonstrations that God had given to them to prove that he's still God. And uh, now all of a sudden they run into a hardship. Things are not going the way they expected. And we've run into something that, you know, hey, this is not what we signed up for. We never signed up for hardship. We never signed up for sacrifice. We never fi- signed up for God actually disciplining us. Because up to this point... The only discipline that had been given out was for Egypt, right? The, the only thing that, uh, the only, the only, uh, judgment that God had exercised up to this point, uh, was, was towards Egypt. That was the only, the, the only thing that they saw. They, they were observers, right? Every day they pulled their uh, chair up in the land of Goshen and watched well, wonder what plague is going to come next and wonder what's going to befall Egypt today. And uh, they're looking at all of these things that are happening and all of these things that are going on. And uh, they're, they're looking at all of this judgment extended that way. Now all of a sudden here they are in the, on the edge of the promised land that they should have easily crossed into. And now their, their unbelief is, is all of a sudden slowing down the parade. And uh, they look at the land and they look at this hardship and God's, you know, God's judgment. Because there's threats now of giants over there. There's threats of opposition. There are threats of, you know, we actually might have to pay a price for going into the promised land. We may actually have to sacrifice something to go into the promised land. This might not be, uh, you know, one continuous fellowship. This might not be such a rosy parade after all. And they're looking at this and they're hearing the reports of the giants in the land and they never fought giants before. There's been no, uh, description of fighting giants up until now. There's been no Goliaths around until now. And here they are now having to face this to go into the land. And, uh, they, they say, look, we, we just, we know, we know what it was like where we came from. And in our opinion, that's better. Let's make us a captain and let's go back. Now, I just want to say this, that I don't believe that that's the way that God's army moves. God's army doesn't retreat. God's army doesn't go back. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say it this way, that uh, I have no intention of going back to anything. 
Because the rapture is not back there anywhere. Rapture lays ahead of us. It doesn't lay behind us. So I'm not interested in going back to anything that God has brought us out of. I'm interested to go on to our promised land. I'm interested in going forward into into the marriage supper and into a new body that God has prepared for me and in the mansion that God has already designed for me. I'm interested in going forward. I'm not interested in going back. I hope you are not either. Praise and worship is a really important thing that uh, that we we know about, and it's kind of like a thing we take for granted. It's a thing that we kind of take, you know, as uh, we don't even need to discuss it because that's what we do when we come to church. And I have news for you that I believe it's something we should do more than just when we're in church for 30 minutes prior to Brother Barry showing up. I believe that uh, worship really is a way of life. I believe that worship is an expression of how you feel about what God's done for you. And your worship does not need to be confined to 30 minutes before I show up. I believe that it, it, that it is something that is a continual praise uh, from our lips. It's a continual thanksgiving that we give to God. Even though sometimes you may not feel real close to God or you may not feel good, uh, you may be undergoing hardship like these people were and, uh, back in, in that day when the evil report came. But uh, I believe that, you know, when we look at it, when we think about it, at the end of the day, we are a very blessed people. I said at the end of the day, I believe that we are a very, very blessed people. And when you think about what God has done for us, hey, just for a moment, shake yourselves, everybody look at me. I, I, I think that we as a people, we should be very thankful for uh, God having get, brought us into the marvelous light of his word in this last day. And let you know by revelation that God has sent a prophet. And if he sent a prophet, the word of the Lord comes to the prophet. And he's brought you out into a completely different kind of communion than you ever knew at any other point in your life. And that God has, God has, has uh, joined himself to you. And, and uh, he actually lives in his bride. Uh, we believe that. And he's taking us from this dimension to another dimension without death. And God did that not because you were worthy of it, not because you got it all right and God's rewarding you at all, but God in His mercy and because of His predestinated plan, He chose you from before the foundation of the world and let you live in lousy Laodicea until He came and knocked on your door and got your attention and woke you up and you realized, hey, I'm more than just a drug addict and I'm more than just a Pentecostal and I'm more than just a, an ordinary person on the earth. I am a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. And God has chosen me to enter into heaven and into glory with him forever because I have eternal life. And if you have eternal life, you have every reason to praise him every day that you live on the face of the earth. Every day that you live on the face of the earth, we have reason to praise him. Micah, good to have you here today. I didn't mean to miss you there, but uh, good to have you here today. And we, we realize that in times in our lives, there are come uh, special moments. And this is the pilgrims at Thanksgiving. I don't know where they got the table. Uh, but uh, the pilgrims uh, were th- very thankful for what God had done for them uh, over, uh, over this last year and a half when they were experiencing such hardship. Uh, in in the new land, and uh, now here they are enjoying the bounty of the land, and the Indians have come, they've joined in, this is a time of peace, and so their, their natural response was, uh, you know, to give thanks to God. And the Bible says, oh come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before God our Maker. Now, I'm going to integrate a couple of review slides here, so everybody's on the same page here, but I want to I get into something that 
uh, you're not expecting, all right, this morning. So well, let's, let's move along. In earnestly contending for the faith, Brother Branham says now, after uh, he, Cain, got his sacrifice, his altar, his church, everything ready, beautiful, probably a lot more beautiful than Abel's was. Well, that probably would not have been hard, really, because Abel's, Abel's church was just a rock. Right? He eventually dragged a lamb up on top of the rock, uh, cut his neck, let the blood flow out. I mean, there's nothing really beautiful about looking at that. Uh, so Abel uh, had this, uh, sorry, Cain had this uh, altar that was quite fancy, had lots of flowers and fruits and everything else on it. But God doesn't dwell in beauty that's made by hands. God does not dwell in beauty made by hands. God is, uh, and I'll I'll say it this way, God is not impressed by what we bring unless he tells us to bring it. God loves when we bring what he tells us to bring. But when we bring what we think is going to be suitable for God and, uh, you know, going to impress him, God is never impressed by beauty that's made by hands. The beauty of holiness is where God dwells in, where the power of the Holy Spirit is. Yes, sir. Do you believe that? All right, don't be afraid now to say amen. All right, so there's our text that we read this morning. Now, God remembered his uh, promise uh, and sent Moses, and they had led the children of Israel up to this place in the line of duty and leading the children of Israel. An obstacle came in the way. God had remembered Moses and, and, his, and uh, his children. And he said, now they're being led out of, uh, out of Egypt into Israel, and an obstacle comes in the way. Now, here's the way Brother Branham says it. He says, you, now many of you are sick, maybe you're real servants of Christ, and, and you've, you've done what's right to the best of your knowledge, but a cancer has crossed your path, or a tumor, or blindness, or deafness, or cripple, or something crossed your path in the line of duty. Then it's time to call a conference. It's time to do something about it. Now, you've got to remember now, in the picture, we don't have this scene here, but in Brother Random's meetings, many times, uh, in the great auditoriums, they would have a whole section over here that was dedicated to people who were on stretchers. And then a whole section over here dedicated to people who were on stretchers. And then a whole section in front of him who were people uh, on stretchers and wheelchairs and on crutches and so forth. They were brought up. Worst cases were often brought up. And many of these people were considered terminal. They were brought by ambulances. They were brought by medical people. And uh, they would be ministering to those people to keep them alive during those uh, meetings that Brother Branham held. And there was a lot of people who showed up at those meetings who realized that, you know what, we're out of solutions. We're out of hope. Doctors have kind of raised their hands like this and said, we've done all we can. And so in many of those great auditoriums, when Brother Branham would show up and they'd advertise the meetings, they would bring their worst. They would bring the sick and afflicted. They'd bring the dying and the destitute there. They would bring the possessed and the people wrapped in straitjackets. There were people in the basement who were, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, tied up or constrained or under guard. Uh, you know, because they, they were hoping to get a chance where maybe Brother Branham would either discern uh, their condition or lay hands on them. And he was surrounded by, he was surrounded by people who were in that condition. And so that's why he says this here today. He says, now, uh, here's Moses leading the children of Israel, but they hit an obstacle. They come to a place, Kadesh Barnea, and they come to a problem. Or they come to a place where, uh, you know, the people want to go back. Or they come to a place where there's, a, uh, you know, some sort of a, a problem in the way. Now, he says, many of you people, you're not bad people, not evil people, but you're on your journey. And he says, now all of a sudden there's something that's crossed your path. 
For Sister Emily, she's got something unusual that's crossed her path. Brother Tim is here today uh, dealing with, uh, you know, cancer issues. And uh, something has crossed his path. Brother Tim is a servant of the Lord, somebody who's traveled the world and has the respect of many people in many nations in preaching the gospel. And you know what? Sometimes because a person has that kind of a life and testimony, uh, you know, the devil will try to throw something in, in, the, in the front of his path. But Tim, I have a word for you this morning and say this, that if God's not finished with you, you're going to get past that roadblock and go right on. Because nobody leaves here until God's finished with them. Some of you have got, you know, extreme family issues and problems that uh, you've dealt with and, uh, you know, are dealing with. And, and there's some things that, you know, come across your path you may not understand because everything in life doesn't always make sense. And like I said last Sunday, it's really an easy thing for you to cheer and thank God and be praising God after you won the victory. But it's a different thing for you to be thanking God before you go into the battle. Right? On your way into the battle. On your, when you're going through these difficult times and you're dealing with the unexpected and you're dealing with the unexplainable, then it's a different thing for you to stand there and say, I thank my God because I believe he's going to deliver us. I believe he's going to see us through. And he says, then it's time, when you're in that place and you're in the line of duty, he says, then it's time to call a conference and do something about it. Now remember, Brother Bram's not talking about sinners here, and he's not talking about people who have all kinds of sin piled up in their life. Because common sense would tell you if you're a sinner, you ought to get on God's side first before you speak to him like a believer. Or secondly, if you've got, uh, you know, if you've got sin in your life, you ought to make that right. If you need to ask somebody for forgiveness, go do it. Brother Bam says, whatever you need to do like that, do it quickly. If you need to make something right, if you need to ask forgiveness, if you need to pay somebody back, uh, if you need to, you know, make, make amends with somebody, go ahead and do it. Because there are things in your life that can happen, that can come there, will block the moving of the Spirit of God in your life. Everybody else in the church can walk away and say, oh, praise God, what a wonderful service we had today. And you can walk out and say, huh, nothing ever happens there. And I'll tell you what, give you a little piece of advice. Most times you can't blame Brother Barry. Sometimes we have to look inwardly. Sometimes you have to look inwardly. All the time I look inwardly, for sure. And I think it's good for all of us to do that, to look inwardly and say, Lord, is there anything in my life? Is there anything in the way? Whenever we have a service, we take all of our musicians and the song leader, bring them in the office here. You notice they come out of here before they come up and play. And we pray and ask God that if there's anything that happened through the week in our lives that would hinder the moving of the Holy Spirit here in our service, that, Lord, you would forgive it. We would just have it under the blood. That's what we pray when we gather together before service here. Because how we come out and, and lead worship and how we come out and play and how we come out and sing, it makes a difference. And I think it's important for us to prepare our hearts and be in the right place and be in the right spot with God before we begin to appeal to God and ask God for things that we want to have in our lives. You should not assume that everything is automatic. Well, I'm a believer and I, you know, I believe God sent a prophet and I come to a message church. Uh, everything's going to be given to me. Well, if that's the case, then Israel certainly would not have had to wander for 40 years, but they did. They did. You know why? Because of their unbelief. We think somehow maybe we have seniority in our lives because we've been in the message a long time. Well, you know what? That really sounds good and that would be nice. I just can't find that in the message. All right, let's read the second paragraph. Moses goes over behind a rock and he stayed there until he got marching orders. And he said, speak to the children of Israel that they go forward. And that's God's army, always marching forward. Say this after me. That's God's army. All right. (laughs) 
Let's, let's just do it one more time. Say this after me. That's God's army. Always marches forward. There's no retreat. There's no retreat. Say it again. There's no retreat. No retreat in it at all. That's what he says. No retreats in God's army. He doesn't have such. We go forward. We go forward in the rapture. We go forward to the changing of our body. We go forward to the marriage supper. We know what happens up there. I'm not going back. I don't know about you, but I'm not going back to anything. I'm not looking for some captain or some leader or some minister to bring us back to something that we once had. I thank God for what we had. But for me, I'm going forward. By God's grace, I'm going forward. Are you all with me today? Remember now, worship is not something that's complicated. As I showed you, this is a woman, uh, Brother Rick may have seen her, because uh, I think you were there in that service, in that house in, up in, uh, uh, where uh, Brother Zephaniah was born. And we had service up there. Doug Baker was with us on that service. And uh, she had a stick with a can on it and a bunch of rocks in that can. And, and she's just playing away. If we had sound, this would be much better. This would be much better if we had sound. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. And what this what this says in another version is you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. When we praise you, and this is the purpose of uh, praise to God, when we praise you, we are actually putting you on the throne. We're not putting ourselves on the throne. We're not putting our pastor on the throne. We're not putting our church on the throne. Come on, somebody say amen. We're not putting our praises on the throne. We're not elevating our praises to a position of something we praise. Some people get really caught up in their music and their talents and their gifts and everything else. Hey, God gave you all of that to bless the people and to put God on the throne. And that's what all of our praises should be about. This is not about what kind of music you should sing or not sing here. That's not what I'm I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about the purpose of praise and the reason that we praise God. And, And we want Him, at the end of the day, at the end of the service, we want Him to be sitting on the throne in the middle of our midst right here. That's what we want to have. That's what we want to see. Now, Isaiah says, I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and praises of the Lord according to all the Lord has bestowed upon us. I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord. I'll mention that. I will, I will make sure that everybody knows that I, I, I love the Lord and I want to praise Him according to all that the Lord has bestowed upon us. When you begin to realize all that God has bestowed upon you, God has given you communion. God's given you forgiveness. God's given you uh, justification. God has sanctified your life. God has given you good friends. God's given you a nice church. God's given you a pastor. God's given you a message. God's given you eternal life. I'm going to keep going until somebody says amen. God's given you a lot of good things, folks. And for every one of us, you shouldn't sit there like a stewed prune and look at me and say, well, uh, you know, I don't want to hear about this subject here. Uh, Isaiah says, I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that God has bestowed upon us. All right, let me give you an example of that, and I love this one. You remember Brother Bam talked about a highfalutin family that was in somewhere he heard heard about, and uh, this wife was going to have a tea party, nothing against tea parties, and have, uh, you know, a gathering of the social uh, sisters around, and they were going to come, and uh, the father now was an older guy, 
And uh, he was a little bit eccentric because he was such a Christian, loved his Bible, loved reading his Bible. And he would kind of get loud and shout every now and then, and that's just the way he was. And no, no, uh, no sitting him down. And so when she was having the tea, she said, okay, now we've got to do something with uh, Father. So I'll tell you what, let's put him upstairs, uh, up in the upper part of the house, and we'll tell him to stay up there. And uh, if I give him his Bible, my goodness, he's going to start hollering when he reads that because he gets all excited when he reads his Bible. So I'll tell you what, we'll give him a National Geographic. So she hands him a National Geographic, takes his Bible, and puts him up there and said, Hey, Dad, just read this for a couple of hours, and we'll let you know when everybody's gone. Because she didn't want to be embarrassed. See, my father. And so Brother Manham goes on and he says, Now, uh, when they were all having their tea party, having all that big time, he says, About that time, something cut loose upstairs. And the screaming and the jumping and the plaster falling off the ceiling. And the old man running up and down through the attic and jumping up and down and hollering, Glory to God! Glory to God! And the woman didn't know what happened up there. So she ran up the stairs as hard as she could go and said, Daddy, I just gave you a National Geographic to read. And he said, Yes, I know it. He said, I was reading in this National Geographic here that there are places in the sea that they don't, they, they got no bottom in it. They haven't found it. And I read over here in the Bible, he said that God put my sins in the sea of his forgetfulness. He said, glory to God, they're still going and they don't have an end. They just got to keep going. And he was shouting about it. He said, well, Brother Bram said, well, that's right. That's exactly right. That's something to shout about, isn't it? That's why Isaiah said, I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that God has bestowed on us. God has bestowed forgiveness on these people. Do you realize where you would be if you didn't have forgiveness? You wouldn't have communion. If you don't have communion, you don't have access to God. I don't know about you, but I want to have access to God today. And I want God to have access to me. I want to have access to God, and I want to have God to have access to me. I want him to be able to come whenever he wants, in whatever way he wants, and whatever uh, thing I'm doing. I want him to be willing and able to interrupt me anytime. I want him to be welcome in my house. I want him to be welcome at my, in my car. I want, oh, I, a truck. I only drive a truck. I want him to be welcome in my life in any, any way at all. And the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has bestowed on them according to his mercies and according to the multitude of his loving kindness. Now put yourself in a New Testament in there and say, I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of, of, of the Lord according to all that he has bestowed upon us. Upon us, the bride of Christ, and the great goodness toward the house of the Gentiles, the bride of Christ, who has bestowed on them according to his mercies. Not according to your works, but according to his mercies, God has bestowed blessings upon you. And that's why Peter says, you're a chosen generation and a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should, because we have reason to rejoice, because we have reason to praise him, you should show forth. Dave, or Isaiah says, I will mention the loving kindness of God. Ye should show forth. What? The praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Oh, that's all right, isn't it? That's all right. Now, <clears throat> Brother Branham says in Hebrews series here, he said, now there's something about where you go, where you go to church. He says, and what teacher teaches you, there's something to it. Therefore, we ought to seek out the very best that we can find. So you're getting the best. I say this, God give us whatever we need to get our bodies changed and get there. Whatever it takes. 
And you should be praying and say, Lord, you have led me here. Take a hold of Brother Barry in such a way that he'll be just a vessel, just a channel, just a microphone that you can speak to us to give us what we have need of to get out of here. Because you're not coming here to stay here. We're coming here to get out of here. Is that all right? We want to be, we want to be right so that we're not left. Therefore, we ought to seek out the very best that we can find. So we're getting the best. Not because it's sociable and everybody's coming here, everybody's moving here, they've got a nice fellowship hall, they have really nice seats. Not because I think there are more young girls here if you're a young guy or young boys here if you're a young girl. That should not be the reason you come to a church. Because if that's the reason you're coming to a church, that'll fail. If it's the going place, if it's the place with the new car smell, if it's the newest, uh, newest place and uh, the most popular place, that's not a reason to come. That might be a good thing, but, it might, but it's not the reason to come. It shouldn't be your motivating factor. But what you should be coming for is the ministry that's given uh, to, to families and the individuals and the people that are there. But he says the real Bible teaching, that's what we want to have. How many want to have that? I mean, that's exactly what we had. Otherwise, we're spinning our wheels, right? He said, always be conscious of your littleness, not your bigness. We have an example of Elijah. And Elijah was, uh, you know, at, at a point where he really needed to hear from God, and God was trying to attract his attention. They came to fire, smoke, and the wind, the thunder, and the earthquake, and the prophet never even moved. God wasn't even in it. But when that still, small voice spoke, he covered his face and came forward. When the still small voice of God's word speaks, not a racket, not big denominations, but that still small voice of the word that's looked over. Many, many times that's looked over. That's many times that's looked over. That should call a man to repentance. That's God in his word. That's God in his word. You know, uh, sometimes there are things that will happen that give you a radical redefinition of who you are and what you're supposed to be doing in life. And there are sometimes that God will take the carpet out from underneath your feet and yank it and you'll be flipped upside down. And all of a sudden, whoa, you're looking at life very differently. I was looking at a little film clip that was put out about Ukraine a little while ago. And, uh, you know, the church, there was a pastor over there, and they were worshiping God in a bombed-out kind of a a setting. And all around them in the town, it was all shelled and broken out. But they were still meeting for church service, and they were singing in there. It was beautiful, the sound of their singing. And I'd let you see the film, but it was too violent. There was too much uh, evidence of all the destruction that was going on there. And uh, it was just amazing. But the pastor said... The pastor made a very interesting comment, and he said, you know, up until the war, we measured our success as a church by how many people came here. He says, we measured our success by the amount of activity that we had within our church and the amount of people and the amount of money that we collected and all of that. He said, that's how we measured the worth or the value of the church. It was all in material type things that we looked at. Well, the church is, is successful. It's blessed because we have this many people and we had this many last week. You got more this week and we've got, you know, we're building a, an extension and all the other things that we look at in a natural way. That's, that's the way he said that we looked at this. Now he said we look at our mission entirely different. He said we take people who are absolutely without hope. They have no hope for tomorrow. They have no job. They don't know where their next meal is coming from. They might have been taking therapy for uh, different diseases, and now they don't have money to go to the hospital or have medicines. 
And he says, now we minister life to these people. We minister help and love and compassion to these people. And we give them the hope of the gospel. And I thought it was really interesting that it took something, quite a shock, quite an abrupt thing to change their perspective of what they were actually supposed to be doing in life. And here's Brother Branham telling us that, uh, you know, Elijah, he's not a man who's, uh, uh, you know, unaccustomed to great things and God doing great miracles and, uh, you know, calling for uh, a famine, uh, uh, you know, with no rain for three years. You don't think that's pretty impressive? Go ahead and give it a shot when I'm gone. And, and Elijah is not a man who's unacquainted with miracles and supernatural things. But all of this stuff is happening around him here, the earthquake and the fire. And you can think about it as symbols if you like. All of this stuff is going around. All this stuff is happening right in his midst here, and he's unmoved. The thing that moves him is the still small voice of God. May God give us that kind of a sensitivity that in the midst of everything that goes on, that you're, you're sensitive to the voice of God and what he's actually saying. Now, that seems self-evident, but let me give you a quotation here that has two a- an asterisk in front of it. Now, remember, an asterisk means that everybody wake up, look at your neighbor, make sure everybody's got their eyes open here, and watch this, watch this quote, okay? The trouble today, we try to get ahead of the Word, and we make the Word fit this and the Word to fit that. That's a pretty dangerous thing. As I've told you before, when you have an idea and you try to make the Word fit it, then, you know, you're, tr- you're, you're doing something on your own. But when God gives you the inspiration based on his word, then other things can be added to it that will make the whole vision come to pass. But what we need today is follow the word. I mean, there's nothing more self-evident. There's nothing more obvious it may seem. I mean, Brother Barry, why are you even bothering? I'm bothering because it's easy to get to a place where you don't follow the word anymore, sometimes because the word's been around so long. Sometimes because, you know, hey, I've always been around the message. That's all I've ever known. And you feel like, well, we're always going to have it. I mean, Brother Barry will live forever, so we'll always have it. And we got the message, and so, you know, no, hey, no big deal. Well, what Brother Brandon was telling us is that the, the need of the hour, the need today is to follow the word. You may say, well, I, I can get along, but I'm going to church. And I can, I can ha- no, no, you need to follow the word. And you need to do what the word tells you to do. You're not following the word until you're obedient to the word. You're not impressing God until you're obedient with the word. The word led the way. And when they got to Jordan, she opened up first and they went over first campaign. He put things first. He got things in the right order and got things that lined up right. He had a reason for that because God commissioned him to stay with the word. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. And let the word do it. Every campaign, they went forth in the battle because God had charged him to put the ark first. Now, remember when they disobeyed in the time of Achan? Remember? And Achan stole the golden wedge, and all of a sudden there was a stop. There was an interruption there, and, and Joshua says, hey, hey, this is not right. This is not according to the promise. We put the word first. Somebody hasn't. Therefore, we've got an interruption in the program, and so many men are dead. Right? Can I go a little further? After, I haven't even got to the part yet that you're not expecting. After the ark went forth, what went forth then? Singing, players of instruments, before the fight took place. So the order of God's army is to set it up this way. We're going to make sure the word is preeminent. 
right? And then we're going to have singers and players of instruments because, uh, you know, there's nothing more inspiring and nothing that prepares you for the battle uh, than to have that kind of a setup here. And God knew that. And he says, then the fight takes place here. That's what we need today. That's what we need today. It's what we had this morning. Singers and instruments playing music and rejoicing and then put the word first and read the word. Then the battle sets in and we're bound to win. Remember the quote I read to you a little bit ago where, Brother Bam, some of you were in the line of duty and cancer steps in or a tumor steps in or blindness steps in, right? You're in the, you're in the battle. So when you're in the battle, all right, if we're going to fight this enemy, let's line it up right. Let's, let's do this. Then the battle sets in. You're bound to win. You just got to win. Stay right with it. Keep its directions. It'll keep you in the hour of trouble. Aren't you glad you got something that'll keep you in the hour of trouble? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Now, again, one, this is the scripture from last Sunday, which was our text. For through the voice of God shall the Assyrian, the enemy, be beaten down, which smote with a rod. And 32, and in every place where the ground staff shall pass, where God swings his rod, which the Lord shall lay upon him, it shall be with tabrets and harps in the battles of shaking will he fight with it. In other words, here's the Jewish Bible. For Adonai's voice will terrify Asher as with his scepter he strikes them down. So God's going to use his, his uh, weapon to destroy your enemies. Every sweep of the punishing rod that Adonai imposes on him will be to tambourines and liars. God will act when you worship him in spirit and in truth. God will act when he hears the tambourine. Hey, he's got the destroying weapon in his hand, but the tambourine is in your hand. And God wants you to praise him and thank him before the battle begins. And when we praise him correctly, it unleashes the power of God against your enemies. There's something God loves. There's something God, he just doesn't shy away from a battle, but he loves to jump in and beat up your enemies when you're thanking him in advance for what he's going to do. Lord, I know you're more powerful than these enemies. And I, I know what the doctor said. And I know what everybody else said. And I know what the government said. Hey, we were given a prayer request today for a group over in, uh, in Thailand. I believe that, it, forgive me if I don't remember just the name, but there's a group in Thailand. And the government is, is deciding over these three days whether they're going to shut down uh, their churches or not. Because uh, their local religious people have come against the message over there. And so they're deciding whether they're going to shut down the message church over there. And they're doing that within like uh, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, because they're all open over in that part of the world. And, and, and that's all going now. I'll tell you what, if I was there, I would encourage those people to be raising their hands and thanking God because our God is stronger than any government. And our God is more powerful than any enemy. And the way to unleash God's power is for you to take your tambourine and say, I'm one of them, I'm one of them. And begin to thank God and praise God and look to God uh, for that deliverance even before it happens. And then watch as he brandishes his arm against them in battle. Oh, I'll tell you what, what a resource we have. Now, I, I'm, gonna, I, I'm just going to jump here because we have a couple of uh, issues here that I want to I get to. Now, <clears throat> Paul brings an order into the New Testament church, as you know. Uh, there was no, really no precedent for New, New Testament church. Uh, a church that believed in grace and justification and the gifts of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit. None of that was, uh, had any precedent. That had never been talked about before. Everything, everything prior to this time in relation to God's Word had to do with thou shalt and thou shalt not. Right? Prophets, stones, 
temples, veils. And now all of a sudden, here's Paul setting the New Testament church in order. And he says, now, when it comes to the gifts, because the Holy Spirit's there, the Holy Spirit's present, and he's anointing people that have gifts and the ability to be able to interpret tongues or the gift of, uh, you know, administrations, the gift of laying on of hands, the gift of uh, music and so forth. The Holy Spirit's doing that, but there's really no order. There's no boundary here. Now, God loves order. We've read that already. So Paul writes, he says, Now, if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one that's unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of the heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he'll worship God. Now, that is the end result, right? I mean, that's the whole point. That somebody who doesn't know God would be able to come into our midst here and realize, wow, these guys, these folks have something different than I've ever encountered before. And the end result is this person has a conviction in their heart. You don't need to tell him to fall down on his face. I said you don't need to tell him to act a certain way. You don't need to be doing things because everybody else is doing it. But somehow or another, this presence ought to so affect this person, even a sinner, one that believeth not or unlearned. All of a sudden, he's on his face worshiping God. You know why? Because the presence of God is there. And the presence of God wants to do this in the hearts of the people. The presence of God wants to do this in your heart. I'll tell you what, the presence of God wants to do that in this church. And my responsibility is to preach the word in such a way that it's clear. It's, it's based on, on truth, based on the Bible and the message and so forth. And preach it in such a way that I get myself out of the way and he can speak to your hearts. And let him have free course among us here. We're putting everything under the blood. And let him have free course that God can deal, number one, with you. And then secondly, God can deal with the outsider who comes in here who doesn't know God and feels like he can make it on his own. And, uh, you know, he's got the world by the tail. But all of a sudden he realizes he's got to deal with the question of eternal life. And what happens when I die? And all, you know, he comes into that presence and says, whoa, you fellows have something that I've never experienced before. And so they fall down on their face. Remember what face is? Face is the definition of worship, right? Bowing down and touching a person's shoe, being, being uh, in that position uh, before somebody. And he'll worship God and report that God is in you of the truth. There's no greater compliment that God can pay the church than to say, wow, I experienced God when I came to your church. You know what? There's no greater compliment that somebody can pay HBT than a stranger to walk in here and say, wow, I felt the presence of God when I came in here. That means you and me are all doing something right. I I said that means that you and me are doing something right because it doesn't just depend on me and what I'm saying here today. It depends on your heart, your attitude of worship, your uh, your, uh, willingness to lay down your grudges and everything else and to come in here and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive everybody. Lord, uh, be my healer. Be everyone's healer today. Lord, move among us and uh, make it it just such a a mighty presence today. Somebody prayed today in one of the prayers that God would come and do that and, and just be really present with us today. Hey, listen, the greatest compliment somebody can pay this church is to walk out of here and say, I don't know about anywhere else, but I experienced God when I went to that church that day. That means that we're all doing the right thing. Now, Paul goes on and he says, And how is it now, Brandon, when you come together, every one of you have a psalm and a doctrine and a tongue and a revelation and an interpretation. He said, Let all things be done unto edifying. You all have your own program. You all have your own idea about how things should be done. That's a dangerous thing. 
But he says, really, the, the whole thing, everything you do should be done in the edifying. What does that mean? That means that the word edifying is this, building upward in an upward direction. So let all things be done unto edifying. So no matter what we do, whether it's printing a book or whether it's having a service or whether it's having a, uh, you know, a fellowship or a prayer meeting or whatever else, everything should be done unto edifying. It should not be done to uh, raise me up. It should not be done to make our church look better. It not should, should not be done to make more money. It should be done to glorify God. Everything, everything should be building us up in an upward direction. Everybody okay? Hmm. So how about altar calls? See, now I've come to the part where you didn't expect I was going to go. None of you would have guessed that this was the next slide. Let me talk about this for a minute here, if you don't mind. This is interesting because of the way Brother Brown talks about it. And I, uh, you know, I, I, I've preached on this years ago. I haven't visited it for a while. But I, I just wanted to uh, bring you some, some balance on this, I hope. And uh, trust it will be a blessing to you. And, and remember now, <clears throat> we're talking about making things, getting things in order uh, in the army of God and making sure that we're in the right position because as we move forward in this time, we're moving into greater battles, more difficulties, deeper water, higher waves. So we've got to be more stable. You need to be more stable than what you are now. I will tell you that by the time we get to the end of the road, you're going to be more stable than what you are now. You may think, well, I've been in the message a long time. So what? You need to be more stable by the time we get to the end of the road. God will allow us to go through things and experience things. And we had to be real careful that we don't do what everybody else is doing because everybody else is doing. And we feel like we're going to miss it if we don't do what everybody else is doing. I mean, that kind of sounds normal, but it's not in the Bible. I looked. I, this morning, I, I took my boys down. We had boys week this week. And... Uh, you. I, I survived. So this is a week when we get all of our grandsons together and we do things with just our grandsons, my wife and I, and we live to tell about it. It's successful when we live to tell about it. The week before, we had Girls Week, right? Did you enjoy Girls Week? Yes. We have two girls and we have, uh, we do it. It's completely different when you do Girls Week. Completely different. So we had Boys Week. So <clears throat> this morning... Uh, and I was talking to him all week about, you know, you're going to grow up and be your own man, your own, your own person, and you don't need to follow everybody. And, you know, you, you're, you're all individual boys. And we talked about that and, and, uh, through the week. And this morning they come down for breakfast. And uh, one of the older boys, uh, he got up and I said, what do you want to have for breakfast? Here's the menu. What, do you, what would you like to have? And he said, I'd like to have a muffin and bacon. I said, really? Is that what you want to have? Yes, sir, that's what I want to have. I said, you can have eggs, you can have cereal, you can have oatmeal, you can have toast or whatever. No, he said, I want a blueberry muffin and bacon. Okay? I know your mother would clearly approve of that, so that's fine. So the next boy gets up and I said, what do you want to have? I want to have a blueberry muffin and bacon. Are you sure? Yep, I'm sure. All right, give me two. I asked the next little boy. I went down in ages and I said, what do you want to have? a blueberry muffin and bacon. I said, no, you don't. He said, yes, I want to have that. I said, why do you want to have that? He said, because he's having that. I said, okay, give me three. And then I asked the last one. And I said, what do you want to have for breakfast? He said, what they're having. 
I got all these people behind me in the line, you know, and they're looking at me like, really, buddy? How long are you going to talk to these kids here? And I, I said, are you sure you want to have that? Yes, you want to have that. So I said, give me four of the same thing. And the, the point is, is that it's easy to fall into that, uh, that place where I, I, I feel like I, I can't be the oddball out. I can't. It takes a, it takes a real, real character to stand out and say, no, I'll have a bowl of oatmeal. I don't need to be like those guys. Why in the world are you saying that? All right, let me give you just a real quickly here, real quickly. Back in the Methodist era, back in that time, there was a real interesting thing happened, uh, kind of a, a, a split, if you like, in the way that evangelism was done, especially in America, in the time of the Great Awakening, all right? And uh, some of you folks have read this uh, about that time period. Very interesting time period. And Brother Branham actually refers to this time period many, many ways uh, if you understood the history of it and you followed that a little bit. But back in that time, uh, when when, uh, one group of people, mainly under uh, the, the leadership of Charles Finney, they popularized what was called the anxious seat. Now, Finney was a a dramatist. Finney was a very expressive kind of a a, a minister, and he was very popular. Followed after Whitfield in in America, and uh, I mean, he was he was really, and I'm not being critical, but he was a real showman. He was a person who did things to get people's attention, and it was very effective. Lots and lots of people were affected by his preaching back in that day. He was a very stern kind of a fellow, very piercing. His eyes were very piercing. And when he looked at you, they said, you know, he'd make you quake in your shoes. And they put a bench up in the front of the church. And they call it the anxious seat or the mourner's bench to pray. And it was designed as a place where people could come and consider whether they wanted to become a Christian or not. And the second part of that uh, was this idea that, uh, you know, it was... Uh, it, it was a, a place where a person could come and uh, it, it, they would actually, according to history, they would make converts for the abolition movement. And so th- this took place at this, uh, at this uh, anxious seat in the front of the church here. And Finney used it very well. In other churches, though, uh, in the Wesleyan Armenian side of things, the altar call was a, an invitation for people to experience a new birth. But it was also to have believers to plug into the second work of grace, which was uh, sanctification, or what they refer to as entire sanctification. Billy Sunday Moody, then they followed along in this tradition here. And uh, that was what they call a definite work of grace, the second work of grace. And uh, they, uh, they, they uh, had, a, at the end of their services, they didn't employ uh, a mourner's bench at all. Uh, they just had people who came, and eventually they had a, a, an altar and had people come and pray. And they still do. Uh, in, the, in the Western tradition, they still, still very much do. And so this was, uh, this was an issue back in the, in the days of John Wesley and that whole time period, and really that's where this, all of this began. Now, <clears throat> there are two men who were key back then. Now, on the, on the right over here is Finney. See what I mean about piercing eyes? Imagine if that was your pastor who came out and looked at you. I have, I have a straight enough face as it is, but imagine if Finney was your pastor. 
Finney preached to, you know, I mean, a good portion of people who lived in America uh, back in his day. Lots and lots of people heard him. Very uh, commanding presence and, you know, just a powerful kind of a man. The other man on the other side, his name was Nettleton. And I could ask you by a show of hands, how many of you have ever heard of Nettleton before? Most of you have not. Nettleton was equally as popular back in his day. Preached to, they say, uh, about one-third of all the American population back in that time. There was three million people lived in America in his day. And uh, he was a fellow who was just very uh, astute, very, very methodical, kind of very quiet, unassuming kind of a person. And uh, there was a, a, a division between the two of them because Finney believed that it was right for a person to come to an altar. And Nettleton didn't see the necessity of that. He felt like if the preaching was done right, it would convict people and they would fall on their faces before God. He said there was no altar call in the day of Pentecost. And he says you won't find Paul teaching a, an altar call in the New Testament. And so they had this difference of opinion about this whole idea of altar calls. Now, I have an opinion on it, and my opinion doesn't matter at the moment, but I'll share it in just a little bit. So they had a conference, and they got together, Nettleton with his buddies, and Finney with his buddies or associates, and they got together and they said, let's settle this issue because it's, uh, it's kind of confusing for the people. I've never been to an altar. Am I saved? Or I've been to an altar. Was that totally unnecessary? And the people had a question in their mind, and so, uh, you know, this whole idea was, was uh, of concern to people back in that day. And in the conference, they said, well, let's come together and let's see if we can settle it out and uh, kind of sort things out and come to a clear answer. And you know what the end result of the conference was? Nothing. They couldn't settle their own way. They had their own views, and neither one of them was willing to give, and so they kept on going in two different directions. Now, here's what Brother Branham said. Ahab... Ahab, now stop for a minute. The scene is Ahab and Jehoshaphat deciding whether they were going to go up and take the land back from the enemy. You remember that? And they said, Jehoshaphat said, isn't there one more prophet we could ask? And they said, yeah, there's one more, but we don't like him. His name is Micah. And Micah comes in and says, don't go up. If you go up, I see Israel like sheep without a shepherd. Remember that story? Brother Branham loved that story. Told it over and over again. So this is the scene. Now Ahab is looking at the literal word here. He's looking at the literal promise. Well, that's Israel's land, and we should go get it. And so get the armies, and let's go get it. It's ours, boys. I mean, the Bible says that God gave that to Abraham. Let's go get it. I'm just giving you a background here. And that was the logical way of looking at it. But remember, Ahab and Jezebel had sinned. Right? And so there was an impediment there. So they could not go claim what there was theirs until that was made right. And then they could reclaim the land. So Micah says correctly, you can't go do that. He says, if you try to go and do it against what God has, uh, the principle that God has laid down here, you've got to make this thing right before God's going to defend you. Then, you know what, Your Israel's going to be like a sheep without a shepherd. So don't bother going. Ahab was going right on without saying a word, just his own mechanical, physical, human way of doing things. Ahab was operating just on a, uh, hey, this is the way we do it. If it's the land of Israel, automatically it's ours. But in this case it wasn't because they had sinned and they needed to make that right. 
And then they could go claim the land. Are we okay? So he was doing things in a mechanical, physical, human way. And I just wonder right here, church, here's Brother Branham now in 1954. He's taken that example, bringing it right up to our time. And he says, I wonder right here, church, if that's been a lot of times where we've made, our mis- where we've made mistakes, figuring it out and say, well, it ought to be this way. We said it like that. And I think that's a whole lot of American evangelism is today. We have set in a form, I'd say, of Hollywood evangelism, a lot of glamour. All right, stop for a minute. This is in the era when TV is coming up. So remember now, I've told you before, that we went from a tent and a meeting hall in a church to television, which brought in millions more people and millions more dollars. Well, when you kind of weigh the two and say, we could have a meeting in a little church and come and minister to 500 people and probably come away with $1,000, or we could be on TV on Sunday and minister to 2 million people and come away with a million dollars, where are you going to put your efforts? If you're thinking in a mechanical, logical way, you're going to go for the bigger revenue, the bigger crowd. We can reach more people for God. That's the way they're looking at it, right? Is that God's will? Well, that's not considered. That's the problem. It's not considered. As a result of that now, somebody gets into that. Richard Roberts gets into it. You know, Oral Sun and all the others get into it. And guess what? They start competing for the audience. And when you compete for the audience, what do you got to do? You got to provide more and better entertainment to keep the people locked in. And, folks, tune in next week because next week we're going to have Keith Buchanan and the Buchanan Family Singers. I'm only joking. You know, somebody really famous, somebody, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying. We notice the evangelist comes to the platform today. He's all puffed out, tells a whole lot of jokes before he starts the preaching and carries on and acts like a clown in the pulpit. And when it comes to make an altar call, the people don't even see any sincerity to make an altar call by. And that's the reason the world's got a lukewarm condition that it's in. Aha. You see the problem? God is not in it. I didn't say God's not in altar calls. I said God's not in it when men do it and come up with their own program and their own idea. And you know what? In reality, when all of this was unfolding, where's Christ? He's on the outside knocking, even trying to get in. Isn't that right? And they're carrying on with lots of crowds, lots of money, lots of religious activity there, but there's no sincerity. It winds up being a great big lukewarm condition. How do you know, Brother Barry? I know because when it came to the tougher questions that arose like homosexual ministers, you know what? They allowed it. You know why? Because they were out of touch with the Word and the Holy Spirit. And they never knew what was right or wrong. Are we okay? Folks, I don't want to, I don't want to be involved in that kind of worship. I don't want to be involved in that kind of a situation here. I, I would rather worship God in spirit and in truth. I would rather uh, worship God in a way that uh, there is real sincerity. And there, we don't have to act like clowns in order to entertain the people. And promise you things. Well, we're going to have uh, this... This youth event or that event right here. Or we're going to, uh, you know, build a bigger fellowship hall. We're going to have a swimming pool out back or whatever else in order to get the people to come. If we've got to entertain or pull the people to come, we've missed the point. Amen. 
The reason to come is Christ. The reason to stay is the same. Can I go a little further? We have altar calls, Brother Bram said, 1955 again. We have altar calls and bring people up around the altar. That's a good tradition of the church. But in the Bible time, as many as believed, just accepted him wherever he was. They had no altar calls. That originated in the Methodist around the early Methodist churches coming to the altar. See what he's referring to? I just told you. It's a good thing. He said we should never let it go. Keep it up. I think it's a good thing. Come out there and pour your heart out before God. That's the way to do it. I think, I think the church should be a place where a sinner can come and realize he's a sinner and needs to repent. Whether you do it here or whether you do it there or whether you do it in the parking lot or whether you do it in your home, a sinner needs to realize he's a sinner and in need of God and need of God's forgiveness and he needs to repent. And giving a person a place to repent is a good thing. It's, it's the right thing to do. And letting them know that that's what they need to do. Brother Bam says, keep it up. We should never let it go. He said, come there and pour your heart up before God. That's the way to do it. But really, that isn't what saves you. Somebody say amen. amen. Whether you're sitting or on your knees, that doesn't save you. What saves you is accepting what Christ did for you. You could stay there at the altar, pray all night, cry, do every penance, sell everything you have, give to the poor, fast for 40 days, never do you any good until first you accept it's your part. God did his part. Now you do your part. Just a simple thing of believing. And when you believe it, that settles it forever. Hallelujah. When you believe it, folks. Now, how do you know you really believe it? You really believe it when you begin to act on what you believe. Because if you really believe that Jesus died on the cross you'd realize I was the one that put him there. And you'd be pricked in your heart like the people were in the day of Pentecost. It brings a person to repentance. Godly sorrow brings a a person to repentance. Right? Godly sorrow brings a person to repentance. Now watch what he says. Let's carry on. Now you believe, you can believe it mentally, you'll still guess at it. But when you believe from your heart once, that settles it forever. Brother Bram says, when you really got a revelation of healing, and that's what he's talking about here, you can read it in the sermon. He says, when you got a revelation of healing, he said, a doctor can tell you something contrary. He said, doesn't matter. I got a revelation that God's healed me. And he said, I believe that God's a healer and so forth. He said, that's where Christ builds his church. Upon this church, or upon this rock, I'll build my church. Now, if you get saved just on emotions and you get saved because of some pathetic story, But if you come sensibly, soberly upon the basis of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ down in your heart and you accept him as your personal savior, all the devils of hell couldn't shake you away from it. Let me, me, I think this is the one that I, uh, Brother Branham tells a story here. Uh, Just, just let me see if I can put my finger on it here. And, He said, today, he said, we just think about big crowds. And he said, what is it? It's a political organization. It can become like that. And if some great evangelist comes to the city, he said, what comes first? And I'm talking about Pentecostal people now. He said, you go in there up to the altar, they begin pleading. And I'm always been against, I've always been against an altar call. He said, I might as well say it. 
He said, I don't believe in them. There's no such thing in the Bible. And how, how many believe God sent a prophet? How can any man come unless God calls him? He said, you couldn't keep him away. You don't have to call anything if God's called him. He said, altar calls a Methodist idea. They get a hold of him and say, John, you know your mother died long ago. You're not going to meet her in, in heaven unless you, unless you come. Oh, boo-hoo, yes, brother. He said, that's not conversion. It's not emotion. It's not because everybody else is doing it. He said, a few nights ago, <laughs> we had a display in Louisville where a woman brought in a casket and laid it on the platform in the armory. And hundreds of people ran to the altar. They actually brought in a casket. They had somebody laying in the casket. And they were demonstrating the fact that every one of us are going to die. We're all going to wind up in the casket. Now, you can imagine, nobody go to sleep in that service, right? If they open up the side door here, Brother Tim, and they roll in with a casket and just have, everybody can see enough just to see a woman laying in there. And they think, oh, I, I mean, you know what's really funny is that years ago in the 1700s, George Whitfield did the same thing. But he did the same thing in the presence of the Queen of England. He had an opportunity to preach to the Queen of England, and he rolled in a casket, and he preached on the, on the, on the casket uh, the whole time he was there. I mean, they were outraged in the palace, you know, and they didn't appreciate George. But that was the way George did things, because, you know, he, he loved a reaction. And here's Brother Branham saying now, uh, you know, they, they did hundreds of people run. But he said, the gospel is not a scare. If I can talk you into it, a better talker can come and talk you out of it. Right? If I can put on a show and entertain everybody and get everybody to the altar uh, and, and be really good at that, somebody can come and tell you that you don't need to do that. Somebody better who's, who's more convincing can tell you the opposite. If, if, you're only, if you're only going along with the crowd, if you're ordering muffins and bacon uh, like everybody else, you're going to follow the crowd, right? Because you're not going to be willing to say, I'll take oatmeal. Now, remember what I said back a little while ago where Brother Branham said, the need of today is to stay with the Word. Amen. Everybody all right? Amen. I can handle the quietness. He said, now watching these meetings, the great evangelists, even in my humble little ministry, not excluding me, and sometimes I feel ashamed, he said, going out. He said, what do we do? He said, we stand and make altar calls and persuade them. And little girls come up chewing gum. Women come up with their bobbed hair, painted faces, Pentecostal people, and come out and say they spoke in tongues, never let their hair grow, still do the same thing they did. You see what he's, see what he's knocking at? He said, they come up and make the profession. They come to an altar. They come to the front. And uh, I've been in those meetings. I've been in Billy Graham's meetings where, they, you know, they had the altar call and everybody comes and uh, they hand them the packet and they give them a card they can fill out. Local pastors get a hold of them and they walk away with their packet. And I see them go up, you know, uh, uh, buddies in the church and they're laughing and joking going up the aisle. We saw, well, I saw them. I was there. And he said, say they speak in tongues. Never let their hair grow out. Still do the same thing they did. And you tell me that's conversion? Now, let me ask you a question here. Just stop for a minute. Let me ask you a question. Which would you rather have? Would you rather have the program that, that goes through the motions of doing all those things? Or would you rather have a real conversion where somebody becomes a new creature in Christ and they're changed forever? They really get it. They really got it. I don't know about you, but I'd, really, I'd rather have the real thing because I don't want to come to the end of my road and say, well, I, you get to the gate and say, I ordered blueberry muffins and bacon like everybody else. 
But that's not what you were supposed to have. I'd rather find out what God really wants from me. I'd rather, I'd rather have the, the real, true, genuine experience that changes me from a sinner to a saint. Because there's nothing in between except lukewarmness, right? Come on, folks. There, there's nothing in between. I, I, I would rather have the real thing so that when I get there, there's no question at all. And here's what Brother Bram's saying. You tell me that's a conversion, that's a mockery of God. And the Bible said it's a sin and a disgrace for them to cut their hair. And the hour is coming till the axe is laid to the root of the tree. There's the spirit of Elijah coming from John the Baptist. And every tree that bringeth forth not good fruits is hewn down. He said, what's the matter? It was wrong. In other words, people are taught to depend on the fact that you came down you know, to the altar and you came like everybody else and, and you made your, your step, you made your profession, so you're okay. You go on your way. And if there's no change of life, if there's no real new birth, I'm just asking the question. And I'll tell you this. Like I say, I'd rather really have uh, the real thing. But a lot of times people feel like, well, I must be okay because I went and did that. Now, you may assume that here's, here's Brother Branham. You know, he's, he's saying these things, just a Methodist tradition and all the rest of it here. What is really interesting, what is really interesting is that Brother Branham made statements like this all the way through here. But you know what? When the time was right and when it was appropriate, Brother Branham invited people to come to the altar. Brother, people invited, Brother Branham invited people to come and he'd lay hands on them and pray for them. And he said, if you're seeking the baptism of the Holy Ghost, he said, we have ministers here who are be willing to pray with you and so forth and leave Vale's over here and somebody's over here. I asked Brother Vale one time and I said, Brother Vale, what did you tell him in the room? You know, when Brother Branham says that, uh, you know, Brother Vale's over here in the room and people are looking for, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and go over here and see Brother Vale. I said, what did, what did you tell him? Brother Vale said, how could I tell him anything different than what a prophet said? He said, I just told him what Brother Branham taught. That is not, the evidence is not speaking in tongues. That is a, a fruit of the Spirit, but it's not uh, the evidence of the new birth, right? Are we okay? And he said, so I bring them back to the Bible. I bring them back to the Scripture all the time. And he said, then they go away with that little portion of We pray with them and let them go. But he said, how could I say anything different than what a prophet said? But you find Brother Branham, he would, when the time was right, when he felt led to do it, he'd have people come to an altar. Because you know what? Sometimes people just need a place to repent. They just need to kneel down. They just need to express their heart to God and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. And I need you just like uh, anyone else in the Bible ever needed salvation. I need it. And there's nothing wrong with giving people a place to uh, repent before God and to surrender their lives before God. But let me tell you, kneeling at the altar doesn't save you. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that saves you, right? It's the work of Christ on the cross. That's what saves you. So think about it this way. And, and there were times when Brother Branham said, hey, he says, you can be sitting right in your seat. He said, there's so many people here, we could never have an altar call. But he said, right there in your seat, you can believe that Lord Jesus Christ has saved you. He says, rise to your feet or raise your hand or whatever else. You know what? I don't believe they're any less saved by sitting there or, or here, one or the other. Brother Branham did not let, listen, Brother Branham did not let tradition dictate what he was going to do. Because I don't, when it comes to worship, I don't think anyone should dictate to us what we should be like. 
I believe worship is a deeply personal and intimate expression of your love and your appreciation to God for what He's done for you and how great He's been to you and how blessed you are uh, because He's your Lord and Savior. Hey, that's an ongoing thing. That's a life we live. It's not just one day that we worship God that way. That's a life we live. We live and walk and conduct ourselves in thanksgiving to God for all that He's done. Nobody needs to come and say, you need to order blueberry muffins and, ba- and bacon this morning. Hey, listen... God is sovereign and God should be able to deal with our hearts. And some of you are, are conservative. Some of you are more boisterous and emotional. Hey, it doesn't make you more, more bride than not. It doesn't make you more saved than not. It doesn't mean that you're more forgiven than someone else. Let me tell you, the blood of Jesus Christ made atonement for all. And like I've said before, we all begin the new life by seed. Right? Two things are really true about seeds. Number one, they all express themselves when they get in the right environment. And number two, their expressions are all different based on what kind of seed they are. Right? An African seed will express itself one way. And, you know, a Pakistani seed will express itself another way. And a Canadian seed will express itself another way. And an American will express itself another way. And you know what? Nobody is any less bride than somebody else. The thing that you should need to rejoice about is that you're seed in the first place. Hello? Hey, the the disciples came back after Jesus commissioned them to go and pray for the sick. And they came back and said, hey, even devils are subject to us. And they were rejoicing and thanking God. And Jesus said, hey, listen. The thing you need to be thankful for is that your name is written in heaven. That's the thing you need to be rejoicing over. But to me, to me, I think altar calls are a useful thing that uh, we can have in a service and it can be something that can be a, a great blessing when a person has uh, an opportunity to come to the altar if they want to repent and you know just make that expression in their own heart that they want to surrender to God. As a matter of fact, I would say this to you as our church, that if somebody comes to the altar and wants to pray, I think it's great that people would come and pray with them. You know, somebody come up, if it's the sister, some of the sisters come up here, if it's a brother, somebody come up and just pray with them and lay hands on them and encourage them in whatever way you can. Uh, many times people will say, you know, it really meant something to me that people came and prayed with me during that hour that I was going through it. Nothing in the world wrong with that. Brother Branham did it. Nothing in the world wrong with that. But when we say that that's necessary, when we say that we haven't had a service until we have an altar call, now we're ordering blueberry muffins and bacon like everybody else. And I don't think we need to be subject to that. Because worship is a personal thing. Would you agree? Worship is a personal thing. And we, we, the requirement is that we worship God in spirit and in truth. That's the requirement. Everybody okay? All right, let me, let me just wrap this up, find a place to stop here. Brother Branham says in Thirsting for Life, he says, now that's the one the wolf works on, he says, when somebody's separated. He said, and you old men or women, you separate yourself from believers. And people say, well, I can stay at home and be just as good a Christian as I can at church. Brother Branham says, you can't. The Bible said to not forsake yourself forsake our assemble ourselves together and all the more as you see today approaching in Hebrews. And if you're a Christian, you long to go where other Christians are. You fellowship with other Christians. 
So you cannot stay away from church and live the same life. You can't do it. We need one another now more than we ever did need each other. How true is that? How true is that for today? And when you get yourself singled out from the rest of them, making yourself just a little different, and you don't want to associate with them because they believe this, you're getting on dangerous ground. Find the one of your church. Find the church of your choice and remain there. Be a Christian brother to all of them. And that's the way to be a real Christian. He said, then we've got fellowship. Then we've got protection. People love you and they pray for you. To me, that's a good attitude about coming to church. That's a good attitude about being part of a church. That's a good attitude about worshiping God. Because we need one another. And I'll tell you what, we're blessed when we're in an, an assembly. Whether it's an assembly of a hundred or a thousand, we're, we're blessed when everybody sings together and praises God and raises their hands and rejoicing. We have the kind of singers that we have and the musicians that we have and the song leading that we have. And I'll tell you what, it's all designed to get you in a, an atmosphere and to create an atmosphere where, where the Lord Jesus himself, the Holy Spirit's welcome to move in our midst and come here. And look, as long as he's here, as long as he comes, that's what matters, right? As long as he speaks to us. And, and when he's present, he can do all kinds of things among us. And that's what we should be praying for. Not that Brother Barry comes up with a great new sermon or, uh, you know, we have great, uh, I get to sing today. That's not the point. The point is, is that we do everything towards edifying. We do everything, uh, you know, so that the people are blessed. And the people are blessed best when the Holy Spirit's present. And the Holy Spirit can be free to move. It takes more than joining a church. It takes more than shaking hands with the preacher. Remember Billy Sunday? Like I mentioned last Sunday, it takes more than living a good straight life. It takes something that satisfies inside of you that pours down from God into the soul. You know what? We, we, it, it takes more than just being a part of this. It, it, it is truly, uh, you know, a meeting with God, an encounter with God. And, and I'll tell you what, uh, that, that is, to me, that is, is what we should continually preach. Uh, for all of us, I think that's, that's something that we need to remind the generations that come up, that it's an encounter with God. It's not attendance in a certain church building. It, it's not uh, hanging around with a certain church group or being in a certain convention. Let me tell you, God wants to meet with you as much as you or more than what you want to meet with Him. And God wants to change your life even more than what uh, you want to have a change. God wants to make you a, a, a real Christian even more than you want to be a real Christian. And, and the way to do that is to put yourself in a place where you're surrendered to God and say, Lord, just take me and use me like a vessel. I present my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You present your body to God. You, you surrender your heart and your mind to God. I remember Brother Biscoll one time, he's, he, uh, uh, he was ex- uh, talking about this subject, and he said, I took my wallet out laid it on the pulpit. He said, I give my resources to God. He said, I took my glasses off, laid it on the pulpit. I give you my, my, my vision. He said, I took my keys out. He said, wherever I go. And in other words, he took everything out and laid it down because he wanted to surrender everything. This is when he was coming into the faith. And he said, I gave it all to God and said, Lord, take everything I have, everything I, I, I can, uh, that I possess and take it and use it for your glory. And when a person has that attitude, let me tell you, Christ can come and deal with that person and use him then for his glory. There are times when it's really good to come and 
pray around the altar and everybody. And sometimes when everybody comes and, and, and prays. And sometimes it's, it's the appropriate thing to give a person a place to repent and a place where they can just pour out their, their complaint and their, their issues before God and to give it all to him. Nothing absolutely wrong with that. And Brother Branham used it. And then other times Brother Branham said, hey, he says, right where you're sitting. He said, the better way is to let the word convict you. He said, deal with your heart right, right where you're sitting there and do that. But the main thing is what that experience produces in you. We don't go out the door the same way. We've encountered the living God and it changes you makes you a new person. You begin that process of transformation. Begin that process of sanctification. Begin that whole process of uh, growing up in Christ and becoming a new creature. If we're living the same way after, after uh, like Brother Man talking about, living the same way after those things. Hey, or young people have told me they've gone to meetings and you know, gone through what everybody goes through at the meetings and then go out the driveway and turn on the rock music and uh, listen to it on the way home. It hasn't accomplished much. I pray that God would deal with hearts here. Deal with hearts here in such a way that even if it's just one person. That's why lately we've had a little spurt, a little surge of some of these young folks getting baptized. Just one at a time. And to me, I just love to see that because they're not coming because every young boy in the church is coming or every young girl is coming. They're coming one by one on their own just realizing that you know what, I need, I need to do something. I need to make things right. I need to get right with God. And that's a wonderful thing to see that. And may God give them a genuine experience that begins to change them into the kind of a person God wants them to be. And I'll tell you what, I'll guarantee you this. Because this is my story and this is my experience. That when God gets a hold of your life and delivers you from what you could be, you don't have to be persuaded or convinced to lift your hands and praise God. You don't have to be pressured to pray. There's something inside of you that says, Lord, I know what I would have become. I know where I would be today probably. I'd be the kind of person throwing a brick through the window rather than inside here preaching the gospel. I'm, I thank God. Brother Ricky, you look at your past, and, and uh, so many of us can look at our, our, you know, the, the way we would have gone had it not been for the mercies of God that all of a sudden reached down and brought you back. Hey, like Isaiah said, I'll, I'll proclaim the, the goodness of God. I'll proclaim the loving kindness of God. I'll be the first one to stand to my feet and thank God for what he's done. That's, to me, that's the kind of people we should be. And we should, uh, you don't, you should not have to persuade the people or entertain the people or have a certain kind of music in order to do that. There should be something in our hearts that just desires to express itself. Let's stand to our feet. Let's have our musicians come back. Second Chronicles here. And when they made an end of offering, the king and all that were present with them bowed themselves and worshiped. They're dedicating the, the temple here. And moreover, Hezekiah the king and the princes commanded the Levites to sing praises unto the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness. And they bowed their heads and worshipped. 
When they come into the presence of God and they knew that this is what God commanded, this is what God ordained, this is what God designed, was to have this place and to have, uh, you know, a, a, a meeting place, a house where God could come and meet with these people. And when they came to that uh, place together and they realized, well, God is pleased with this, let me tell you, they sang praises with gladness. How many of you believe that we should be doing the same thing today? Hey, we, we come to a place of singing with gladness from our heart because God is, has made it possible for us to be, uh, uh, to be in His presence today. It's just such a wonderful thing. Magnify the Lord with me. <clears throat> Blessed Lamb of Calvary. Let's pull that one up there. Magnify the Lord with me. Help me out here. with me for he is worthy to be praised oh magnify the Lord with me for he is worthy to be praised Hosanna blessed be the rock blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna, blessed be the rock, blessed be the rock of my salvation. Glory, glory to His name, for He lives and reigns forever. Blessed be the rock of my salvation. 
Blessed be the rock. Blessed be the rock of my salvation. Two, three. One more. Jehovah Jireh is his name. For he provided all my need. Jehovah Jireh is his name. For he provided all my need. Sing it now. Hosanna. Blessed be the rock. Blessed be the rock of my salvation. Oh, blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna. <clears throat> Hallelujah. I'm walking with the King. Praise His holy name. Yes, I'm walking with the King. Hallelujah. Walking with the King every day. I'm walking with the King. Yes, hallelujah. I'm walking with the King. Oh, praise His holy name. I'm walking with the King. Hallelujah. Sing it now. Oh, yes, Lord, 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 you surely 
of deliverance and how he already thought it all out. He's already got a way made for us because he's a way maker. He's one who delivers and he lo- he delights in delivering his people and making a way for us. We're blessed, I'll tell you what, and we should be quick to acknowledge it and quick to sing about it and quick to rejoice over the things that have been given to us so freely. God doesn't ask you to do a thing in return, just to love him with all your heart. 
Falling in love with Jesus, that's the best thing that we could ever do. Let's sing it this morning here. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus is the best thing I've ever I feel protected in his arms. In his arms, I feel protected. No place I'd ever rather be. One more time. Falling in love with Jesus, falling in love with Jesus, falling in love with my Jesus. ask you to pray with Brother Aaron now as we close our service today. And Brother Aaron's going to be leaving us now for a month to, to go back home to Zimbabwe here for a time of not only fellowship with his family, but ministry as well. And so we pray that God would bless him and richly uh, watch over him and his family. And uh, also, at, at this particular moment, whatever your need is, I believe that God is able to minister to that need. You people know, I've said this many, many times, if anybody ever has a need and they want to have you know, prayer for it, you're always welcome to come. But I believe, too, that right where you're sitting, you could raise your hand to God and present your need to God. And as, as Brother Aaron prays today, just say, Lord, this is a need that I have, and I, I know you hear me, and I know you... I know you care about what I'm going through. And so present that need to God and believe that he hears you and he's able to answer your prayer today. Let's sing this little part. In his arms I feel protected as we pray. In his arms I feel protected. In his arms never Father, we are so thankful this morning, Lord Jesus, for you coming down, O God, and ministering your word to us, O Father. We feel in our hearts, O God, that you love us and you care for us, O God. Father, we have come, Lord Jesus Christ, we have washed ourselves, we have put on our best clothes, but Lord, we are not trusting in those things. 
For Father, we are trusting, Lord God, in obedience to your word, we are able to get the blessing, oh God. Father, I pray, Lord God, for your children that have raised up their hands. Father, some have got different needs, some are sick, some, Father, are looking for a touch from you. I'm asking, Father, with the great presence of the Lord Jesus Christ that is here this afternoon, that, Father, you may come, Father, and move on their behalf. For we know that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. That, Lord, when the praises go up, we know that the blessings come down. Father, you'd say, let Judah go first, because Judah was the tribe of praise. This, this afternoon, oh God, we lift our hearts, we lift our soul in worship, in adoration to you. That, Father, we know that you are more than able to get us through our situations. Father, we are not going back, we are not looking for a captain, but we are moving forward, oh God. For we remember the presence of God when it was revealed to Ezekiel. Lord God, the Bible says there were eyes all over. And whichever way they were going, they were going forward. Father, there is no retreat. You are not for those that turn back. And we thank you this afternoon. Bless our pastor. Bless this church. Bless this assembly. And be with us, Father, as we travel back to Africa. We ask for your anointing. May your great presence stay in this place. Father, we rededicate our lives to you. Father, we want an atmosphere that when the sinners come, the backslidden come in this place, they are able to testify that surely the presence of God is in this place. Father, you said, for my house shall be called the house of prayer. We thank you, Father, for deliverance. We thank you for helping your children. We commit ourselves into your hands. Bless the balance of our weeks. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I worship you, Almighty God. There is none like you. Worship you in Ah uh-huh. 
I long.